that's immeasurably profound. And it's for someone here this morning to hear in your spirit right now. And the word is this. You Let's pray the Lord's Prayer and as we prepare ourselves for the word this morning, we get to the place we'll say trespasses. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For yours kingdom, the power, the glory on forever, forever and ever we worship you. Holy Spirit, come now, enliven your word to our hearts today, I pray. Bring us and lead us into all truth, that you might be glorified now and forever in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. This morning we are continuing a study that we began last week entitled Kingdom Culture. We're going to be looking at this topic over the next couple of months. And I would encourage you, if you were not here last week, to get a hold of the CD. It's in the back, or you can download it on our website, www.bethelTwinCities.org. Um, would definitely encourage you to get a hold of last week's message on living truth. 
And this morning we're going to continue this study, and I just want to pull back the frame again for a moment for those of you that might not have been here last week, and those of you that were here, but um, perhaps some of the information went by rather quickly, and just want to, I want to give us a little bit of context. This is something that I've been thinking about for a whole long time. Um, some of you know that a couple of years ago I graduated and got my uh, doctorate in global and contextual leadership. Um, and spent a lot of time thinking about culture, as a matter of fact, and specifically about kingdom culture. And um, so, but, but kind of before we begin to unpack this at, at greater, in greater depth and at greater length, um, this, this whole concept of kingdom culture, I want to pull out the frame for a moment and explain to you a little bit more fully what the context of culture is, all right? And so I, I shared this with you last week and asked you to imagine it because I didn't have it up on the PowerPoint. This week I have it up on the PowerPoint for you. So um, I think it's important for us to, to understand the dynamics of culture because um, we live in the context of culture all the time, but for most of us, it's not something we think about very much, or if we do, we only think about it at a very superficial level. And so what I'm inviting you into today is just a little bit deeper understanding because this really is significant as it relates to our understanding then of kingdom culture. All right, culture is, is sort of like an onion with all of these layers. And every time, like an onion, when you peel off the lab, the more layers you peel off, the more tears you will find um, because you get deeper and deeper into the heart of things. But we sort of begin here with practices, and when we think about culture, that's what most of us are thinking about. Most of us are thinking about um, specific practices that we might notice. So um, if somebody um, gets on the bus and they are wearing, um, if they're veiled, if they're a woman and they're veiled, we immediately make some assumptions about their culture. Now. What we're looking at when we're looking at someone who is veiled is we're looking at a particular cultural practice. We're looking at something external. When we talk about practices, we're talking about things like what you like to eat, food-wise, um, what you choose to wear, um, your fashion, what, what festivals, what kinds of um, uh, celebrations that you do together. Now, there are, you know, culture happens at all kinds of different levels. There's, obviously, there's um, uh, national or ethnic cultures that we can talk about. Um, but there's also even family cultures. Every family often has its own unique culture, things that, practices that are important to them. And, you know, we, we say this in our household. I mean, there's sometimes where I tell my kids, well, this is what we do because what? Because we're Olsons. Okay, this is what Olsons do. This is part of our family culture. This is part of our family practice. This is something that is important to us. And so when we think about culture, that's usually often what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the smells. We're thinking about the, the, you know, the, the clothes. We're thinking about all of those types of things. Now, those are the externals, but um, underneath those external practices, there are uh, there's another layer that's very important for us to understand, and that's the layer of values. What types of things are important 
to us in terms of the level of our values. And so now we're getting at things that are a bit more foundational. I talked about last week a couple of things. We talked about societies that are somewhat individualistic versus societies that are more communal in nature. So um, in our society, we live in a very individualistic society. I am a rock. I am an island. I am my own person. I, you know, I, I can do that which I want because, by gum, I'm a free individual. All right? Now, many societies around the world and cultures of, that many of you have come from are not nearly as individualistic. They're more communal. In fact, um, who I am is primarily who I'm related to. That has an enormous influence and impact upon my life in terms of my understanding about who I am. I am, I am because I'm in relationship with these people. I have this clan. I have this um, particular tribe that I'm a part of. I'm a part of this people that's larger than I am. That's a value, all right? Time is a value. We talked about that last week. When does an event begin? Does it begin at the time that it's printed in whatever flyer is there, or does it begin when the people who need to be at the event are at the event? When does that happen? Do we have a sort of a chronos kind of culture, which is very much uh, driven by the clock, or do we have an event time culture? Those are very different things. They impact the way we think about life. How about authority? Here's a value system. How about authority? We live in a very egalitarian culture where authority is very much sort of flattened out, and, or at least theoretically, that's the culture. You know, there's always ongoing dynamics around that. But who's in church? So, so in the church, um, you know, authority becomes something within, you know, I, I, I've worked with lots and lots and lots of churches. And in my work with churches, um, there is a strongly held belief that the people, the congregation, I mean, we have congregational-led churches because, by gum, the church is in charge. So the congregation is in charge of every decision that's going to be made. Now, what's important about that value is just simply understanding. And now, I'm not going to talk about the right or wrong of that, but the, the reality is, is that that is a cultural value. That's a cultural value. Democracy is a cultural value. And there are many societies around the world that don't come from that particular value system. And so authority, um, people are very comfortable um, being under the authority. In fact, the expectation is that the person, you know, for example, in the context of a church, that if you are a pastor, you are viewed as having authority to speak into lots and lots of areas of life. In fact, I know because I have pastor friends from other cultures where it is their responsibility to pick the spouse of single people in their congregation. Happy to do that for you if you'd like me to, all right? You just, just come talk to me. You're just visiting today, but if you got somebody, you just let me know, all right? Well, yeah, all right. So, all right? But that's a cultural, that's a value. That's a cultural value. And there's an authority that's, that's given to those who lead to 
make those kinds of determinations and decisions. That's a cultural value. Get that? Who I am, my identity, is that wrapped up in what I do or who I am? In our culture, it's all wrapped up in what I do. What's the first question you ask somebody after their name? What do you do? Right? What do you do? And if you happen to be in between jobs at any given moment, does that not make you just feel a little bit, what do I do? But if your identity is wrapped up in your occupation, that can get a bit uncomfortable. But that's not true in every society. In many societies, it's not about what you do. It's just simply about who you are. Is it a being or doing kind of society? That's a value system. You with me? Everybody following so far? Is this making sense to anybody? Okay, good. All right, just nod your head and make me feel at least somewhat. All right. Now, at the center of this is worldview. Worldview is at the heart of things. Now, that's deeply embedded. It's, it's underlying philosophy of how we actually, the, 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 the glasses, the perception that we have about the world around us. All right? Perception. Perception. All right. So it's... It's, you know, another word for this is our paradigm, how we actually look at the world around us. And this is very unconscious. It's something that we don't even recognize that we're doing, but we understand deep within us that we have, okay, you got a couple? All right. Looking, no, just looking for dimes. There we go. All right. All right. We got. Okay. Yep. You've all seen me do this one before. Okay. But these are the dimes. Okay. So, so we've got. We're we're looking through lenses. Okay. We're we're actually seeing the world through lenses that we have built up over time unconsciously, we swim in a culture. Again, I mentioned, I think I mentioned it a Sunday night over in Minneapolis. I don't know if I mentioned it here. For example, in America, when we have an issue related to med- a medical issue, the first question we ask is, what caused it? In other places in the world, particularly in many places in Africa, the question is not what caused it, but who caused That's a world view. That's a paradigm through which we look at the world. So all of us have dimes, okay? We all have this that we look through the world. And what I'm contending to you as we look at kingdom culture is that all of us go through a paradigm shift. Okay? Thank you, my helpers up front here. All right, we need to go through a paradigm shift to see things differently and begin to see them through the lens of the living Word of God 
and go through a kingdom culture shift. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. If you don't have your Bible, grab one in front of you and go to the book of Acts. All right? Does everybody understand the context of culture? Because when we talk about kingdom culture and, and where our focus is going to primarily be here, we're going to talk about some practices, but we're also, and, and values, but what, what I believe that the Lord really wants to mess with in our heart is the issue of our worldview. And that's why I'm talking about going through a paradigm shift. All right. Now, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, we find these words in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? He spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just absolutely captured by this. I... I was reading in my ongoing reading after Saturate now, just, you know, continuing to read in Scripture, and I, I started reading again in the book of Acts, and I, I just, I, you know, I've read this, I don't know how many times, countless times, but I was struck afresh, like a ton of bricks coming down in my head. He spoke about the kingdom of God. There was all kinds of things that Jesus could have talked to them about during those last 40 days of his earthly life after his resurrection, the thing that he chose to speak about was the kingdom of God. Now go to the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, and the very last verses of the book of Acts, and you have this bookend. Because here we have Paul in Acts 28, 31. He's in Rome. He's there. He's imprisoned. And what does he do during these last recorded moments of, you know, uh, from the outside of his life? Here we find that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So here it is. The last thing that we find in the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, that makes me want to sit up and pay attention. Because if Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God in the last 40 days of his life. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good portion of our New Testament scriptures, was spending his time while he was imprisoned in Rome speaking about the kingdom of God. I want to understand the kingdom of God. And part of understanding the kingdom of God is understanding what we're talking about during these months this summer, kingdom culture. And so here's what I want to submit to you today. That there is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our cult, earthly cultural worldview, values, and practices. There is a kingdom culture that intersects with the culture that we grew up in. And how about it, folks? Every single one of us has an earthly culture which we have grown up in or have absorbed around us. There is a culture around us that is continuously at work upon us. 
through media, through arts and entertainment, through government, through education, through all kinds of different influence. There's all these cultural influencers that are seeking to press you into a very specific earthly culture. But the Bible speaks to this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And what I want to ask you to insert there in your mind is do not conform any longer to the earthly culture of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this series that Pastor Sam and I and others who will be sharing are speaking about is not simply about giving you some more information. Jesus has got something a lot bigger on his heart. He's seeking and desiring to bring about transformation of your soul. He wants to transform your worldview. He wants to transform your values. He wants to transform your practices. He's after the whole enchilada. All right? Now, last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In fact, we're going to be looking at this scripture every week during this series. So turn in your Bible, or you can keep, keep your Bible there if you've already in the book of Acts. It's up here on the screen as well. But Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, this gives us a picture of the early church as it begins to live its life out, and I am submitting to you that they are living their life out in the context of a new kingdom culture, and that we're going to learn from them. Not to be exactly like them in terms of all of our practices, but at the area of our values, at the area of, and most importantly, at the area of our worldview, we are going to experience this kind of transformation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now last week, we looked at this culture of living truth. Again, I can't emphasize to you enough, I would encourage you to get a hold of this because it felt very much like it was a prophetic as well as a pastoral word into our life as a congregation, into who we are, and to who we are in the midst of a culture around us. And so I encourage you to get a hold of that. This morning, I want to continue our, our discussion together by looking at that word and to fellowship. And specifically, I want to talk about developing a culture of koinonia. Now, I'm using the Greek word because there is no English word. Even the word fellowship is sort of an echo 
of the heart of this issue of koinonia. And so I'm going to take a moment to unpack this for us, and then uh, we'll be done for the morning. All right. A culture of koinonia. First of all, let's get a definition, a working definition of koinonia. Again, this is a Greek word, which encompasses the meaning of fellowship. It means a close, mutual relationship. It has in it participation, sharing in, contribution, and partnership. The root word of koinonia is the word koine. You've maybe heard of koine Greek. When we talk about koine Greek, we're talking about common. It means common or commonality. In essence, what koinonia means is a common participation in God. A common participation in God. I'll leave it up there for just a moment. It's fellowship, a close mutual relationship, participation, sharing in, contribution, participation. The root word, common commonality, the common participation in God. Here's what you need to understand. When we think about fellowship, we often think about something rather superficial. We think about a church potluck, and we think of that as being fellowship. That is a practice Eating together is significant and important, very significant and very important, but it is a, a, a practice which is getting at a deeper value. And the value is, I want to share life together with you. And one way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to eat together with you. I'm going to enjoy your food. You're going to enjoy my food. We're going to enjoy food together. We're going to do that because the deeper worldview behind that is, I cannot exist as an island alone. That's the worldview. You get that? The value is sharing life together. The practice of having a church potluck is a good thing. But the worldview says, I need you. Rich, I need you. I do. I do. I need you, brother. All right? We need each other. That's the, that's the worldview at the heart of this. All right. Everybody got that down? Let's go on. A common share in God. First of all, a common share in God. You know, shares, you, you, you buy shares in the stock, you're buying share in a company, you're, you're participating. You're, we have something more significant than a share in the stock market. We have a common share in God. This is amazing. This just blows me away. This is the same word up here, okay? Fellowship. We proclaim to you and what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You can shout anytime. Okay, this is like really good news. Okay? This means that I have a common participation with God himself. He invites me. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in constant, perfect koinonia, and I am an invited, and you are invited into participation with the Holy Trinity of God. <laughs> That's amazing! God is faithful who has called you into fellowship, koinonia, with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I was so happy to sing Fill Me Now this morning. Love that hymn. That's getting it, that fellowship. We're saying, I want to have more fellowship with you. A deeper participation together. And so when we're talking about koinonia, the foundation is our mutual relationship with God. If you and I want to become closer to one another, think about a triangle. Think about us starting here and God up here. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another. It's true in marriage, it's true in friendship, it's true in every area of our life. All right. A common share with one another. Here's the other piece. We're going to unpack two things quickly and we'll be done. They urgently pleaded with us to share with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations and they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. The privilege of sharing in this service. Here is the common share. Here's the fellowship. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of koinonia in this service giving themselves first to the Lord. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Acts 2, 44 and 45, we're going to get to this a little bit later in our study here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's that word koine. Everything was in koine. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The function, okay, the foundation of koinonia is our mutual relationship with God. The functioning begins to happen through our mutual relationship with one another. So it begins here in the vertical level. It gets worked out. The functioning of it begins to happen through our ongoing participation and sharing in life with one another. And that's what these scriptures describe is the people of God beginning to live their life out together, sharing life together, functioning together as the Lord's people who have first given themselves to God and then to one another. All right. Here's my question. Because our our scripture says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word there, devoted, means they continually devoted themselves. So my question to us this morning is, how can we continually devote ourselves to this issue of koinonia, to this kingdom culture value of koinonia? How can we begin to do that together? I'm really glad you asked that question. Because that's what I want to try to answer here in our moment. First of all, neither of these are going to be like brand new revelations, but I want you to hear them fresh and new this morning and understand them 
in that cultural, the context of culture, practice, value, worldview. First is we need to build relationships. They need to be built. They don't just sort of happen. You have to work at them. And here's how you can do that. First of all, with consistency. It says here in Acts chapter 2, 42, they met together daily. You think that you put in a lot of time at church just because you happen to go to a service that's longer than your neighbor does and you're here for two hours instead of an hour? They devoted themselves daily. They were getting together every day. They were doing life together all the time. Now, many of us are doing that all the time. You don't think of it, you know, we think, again, we think of church as an activity. I'm going to church. Not really biblical. Biblical worldview is we are the church. And wherever it is that you are gathering with other folks anytime, when you are with other believers, you are experiencing life together as a church. But we need to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is a consistency about this. Consistency, I mean, if you, you know, I was just talking, we we happened to stay with a relative of mine while we were um, down in Kansas City for a wedding, and and, uh, they have this, they have a wonderful church that they're a part of, and it's a very loving community and all of that, and and um, my, my relative was telling me, um, because her husband's on the elder board, every once in a while somebody will come in and, and say, you know, we're leaving the church because it's just not, it's just not a loving community, that people don't really care. And, and my relative was saying how frustrating that was because she's aware, she knows how much effort was given seeking to reach out, and, 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 and there was never any reciprocal reaching back in. Some of, our, some of our relational disconnection simply happens because of our lack of consistency. Nobody ever calls me. Do you ever call anyone? I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit too personal perhaps. But, you know, it's, there's a consistency here about our participation in life with one another. There needs to be the accessibility. Is my life accessible? I love how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus lived his life incarnationally. Are our lives accessible to one another, or do we have carefully constructed walls? Remember, there's culture at work here. I've probably shared this before, but there's architectural culture you watch the shift in architecture between pre-World War II and post-World War II architecture in the United States. Look at the architecture. Everything went from front porches to back decks. You drive through most neighborhoods after, built after World War II, and all you see is garage doors. And all you know of your neighbor is the car they drive as they pull in and the garage door goes down. It's not all you know, but that's all that's there, visible. That's different 
than being in a community that was before World War II when everybody was front porch because everything was about engaging. Now, that doesn't mean you all have to join us in the city and get a front porch, but it does mean that you're going to have to work maybe a little bit more at, you know, being out there. We set up our table out front. We do it. We eat out. We, when we have our barbecues, half of the time at least, we eat it out front. Nice shade there. And we just talk to everybody that goes by. Surprise, surprise. All right. <laughs> but you have to be accessible. Is your life accessible? All right? Transparency. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't know about anybody else. Anybody come here today who's perfect? Could you please raise your hand? Anybody perfect? Everybody got it all together? Not an issue, not anything, okay? I think it was Spurgeon who tells the great story of the man who came and sat and was waxing eloquently about how he had achieved perfect sanctification and no longer had any problems with, you know, I mean, he, it's his whole attitude and everything else, and Spurgeon took a glass of water and threw it in his face. And the man, Wah! he said, oh, you know, how quickly the old man can be revived with a little glass of water. <laughs> All right, we're not perfect, but we need to be transparent with one another about those issues, appropriately transparent, with appropriate people. To, to live life together. I love it. I may have shared this story, but a few months ago I wandered back into a youth group and um, after, at the end of a, of a youth thing, and a couple of guys, or I don't know if it was in the middle, anyway, they were praying together and a couple of guys just came up to me and said, Pastor, can you pray with us? They just said, we need to really pray about things that are before our eyes and the stuff that's going on in our thoughts. I was so impressed that three young men would come to me and open up their heart and be transparent about struggle that they're having. That's a good thing. So we need to be transparent with one another. If we come in with our masks on, everything's good. Where do we ever experience true love? Practically. Practicality, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It gets real. I've been talking about being a family of churches. This is where it gets real. Am I willing to practically give myself of my goods and possessions, of my time, my precious time? Am I willing to give of my precious energy? Am I going to live my life with carefully constructed walls around me to protect everything that's me, mine, me and my, me, mine and mine, whatever? Me, myself, and I. Us four, no more. Am I going to open my life? Practically, share. Action. Right? Some of us have the gift of doing this. Pastor Ben has the gift of doing this. He's just incredible. He's 
practically giving himself. I, I learned so much from just watching him do what he does. But we're all called to do that in the ways that God invites us to do. It'll look different for every single one of us. We have different skill sets. You're not going to be calling me to come over and repair something at your house. Please don't call me to come over and repair something at your house. Okay? But there's other ways that we can serve practically, little things that we can do. Right? All right. Secondly, we're going to practice hospitality. Here's another way that koinonia gets worked out. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I love that it says practice hospitality because I think it's a, I think that's a double-edged thing or a double positive or whatever it is. Two, two connotations. One is, in other words, do it. You actually have to do it. But also you get to practice because you're learning how to do it. I get to practice. Now I'm going to go after heart stuff rather than you know, by the way, Martha Stewart is not our idol for hospitality. That's called entertaining. That's a cultural value, entertaining. That's different than a biblical, cultural, kingdom cultural worldview of hospitality. Hospitality, first of all, has to do with love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly struck by how unloving I am towards my neighbors, wherever they are. God has to work that in me continuously. Jesus, help me. Acceptance. Accept one another than just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We have a cultural value of tolerance. I find it mildly to highly offensive. I don't think we're called to tolerance. I think we're called into a place of acceptance, which means radically accepting people for who they are. This is something God's continued to work in me, and I've still got so far to go. Please keep praying for me. Let me tell you what the issue is for most of us. Most of us want other people to be exactly how we want them to be. And when they don't, I talk about this in pre-marriage counseling. I say we all have this, we have this perfect spouse. We have this, this plexiglass form of the perfect spouse in our minds, and then we spend a lot of our energy in life trying to get our spouse to fit into that plexiglass perfect expectation that we have. Here's the problem. Just when you get them tucked in, they mush out somewhere else. It's really true. It's what we do in marriage. We also do it just Expect people to be like we expect them to be. And then they have the audacity not to cooperate. And so we get angry, or we get frustrated, or we get anxious. 
or we just give up. When perhaps the invitation is to open our hands and give in to the Lord and surrender and say, okay, God. You all right? Is this okay? I think it's real. I was just reading Henry Nowen last night, and he talks about a situation with a friend of his where he got so entangled and was expecting so much out of this friend that finally the friend completely disconnected himself from him. He went through this deep process of, of grieving and wrestling through and whatever, all this, and he finally realized, I was trying to make that person, I was expecting of them only that which I can expect of God. And so he opened his hands, and God brought the relationship back, but it had to come in a new and different way. Which brings us to forgiveness, because guess what? We're going to offend, and we're going to be offended. It's the nature of Koinonian relationships. It's messy. Community is messy. We're going to talk more about community next week, so we'll get into this more. It's just messy, people. And it's just going to get messier. And in a house like this, with a call like ours, to be a house of prayer for all nations and to be a family of churches, it's just going to get exponentially messier. All right? You up for that? You're going to have to do some forgiveness. I remember years ago, okay, now I'm just going to tell this story because I've told this other places. I don't know if I've ever told it here. Many, many years ago, someone came to us, a, a new person came from another culture and and they were here, and they were here like three weeks, and then they missed a week, and then they came back the following week. And when they came back the following week, they rebuked me, and they said, Pastor, don't you care about me? And I said, why, what? I was gone last week. Didn't you notice? Why didn't you call me? Now, if one of you who are from a majority culture here had visited here for three weeks and then missed a week and you'd gotten a call from me, you'd have been saying, why are you checking up on me? <laughs> That's a cultural practice value worldview. Okay? So start to, you know, we're going to have to all upgrade our cross-cultural Okay, understanding. But you're going to have to be in relationship. You're going to have to be hospitable. You're going to have to start stepping out of your comfort zone. Okay? There is about 75 Bhutanese or 100 of them. You're going to have to start working on names. They are not a faceless. They're each individual. they got names. They have names. It's amazing. They're not names that you've maybe heard of before. Here's how it helps me. I write them down. If I write it down, I can start to get it better. If I just hear it, it's harder. But when I write it down, it makes sense. Simple things. All right? Practice relationship, hospitality. I'm wearing a shirt that one of them gave me. Isn't this sweet? Isn't that a nice shirt? Bimla gave this to me. She was so excited when she saw me wearing it this morning. Thank you. She got it to me for Father's Day. I thought it was from, isn't that nice? I thought it was from Nepal. It's from Kmart. I love it, though. <laughs> it's really cool. 
I was so excited. Another ethnic shirt. Kmart. But it probably is from somewhere else. So anyway. All right. Am I getting kind of? I'm trying to be a mix of worldview and practice value, OK? I'm trying to hit you at all levels, because God's hitting me at all levels about this, OK? So Psalm 133, worship team, come on up. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is if, if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows or actually commands his blessing, even life evermore. God really likes koinonia because he created it. He started it with the Trinity. He continues it with the church. He's all over this whole concept. And so I think it's helpful for us to love what God loves and to recognize that this is significant to his heart. And so I want to invite us as a people here at Bethel Christian Fellowship into a kingdom culture of koinonia. We're going to talk more about this again. I'm going to unpack some more next week because it's just, because we're going to be talking about they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and what that means. We're going we're gonna to be unpacking this whole thing very in-depth. But um, can we stand together? And uh, we hadn't sung this song in a long time, and then we sang it a few weeks ago, and it just feels right to sing it again this morning. And uh, it's just kind of one of those songs that reminds us, and then I'm going to pray and we'll be done. But... So, and my glory will come down. This is right out of John 17. If my people will come together, then my glory will come down. Here we go. That you have spoken. We will come together. Your glory will come down. Thank you. Thank you. So we receive your promise today as a house here in this place. And with open hands now, receive the benediction. And I pray that each of you might be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible grace and mercy of Jesus Christ the Son, and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, I pray that you might go with the banner of his favor and goodness over your life. May his blessings chase you down. Until we meet again, either in this house or our eternal home, I bless you, people of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you love on some people? Hallelujah, yeah.